You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. We, over the last couple of weeks, have been looking at Acts uh, 13 and this week a little bit of 14, which talks about how the church at Antioch, which is kind of right over here, made up of Christian people who had kind of come from all over. The Jewish people had been scattered from down in this area, had been kind of chased because they were putting their trust and hope in Jesus. The, the traditional Pharisee Jews did not like that. They were beginning to persecute them. So they began to gather in Antioch, and others began to gather here as well. And it became kind of a, a, a main point of meeting for the early church. And it was, a, it was at Antioch the people were first called Christians. And during a time of, of prayer and fasting, the church at Antioch, someone felt that God had said, We're, you know, maybe we should set aside Paul and Barnabas, that they're supposed to be sent out as, as people to go and tell others about the gospel. And so the church began to pray about it and through fasting uh, decided that this is, this is something that would be good. And they wanted to allow uh, the church to get behind them. They were praying and they ended up launching them out. And Paul did this three separate times that it is recorded in scripture. But this first time we see, let's go back to that. So we get to see Antioch and they go to here to Salamis and then to, to Paphos and then to Perga, then up into Lystra and Iconium and Derby, and then uh, all sorts of stuff's happening. And I would encourage you, as, as we're going through the book of Acts, we're not going through verse by verse. I would encourage you to take time to read through chapter 13, chapter 14 specifically I'm going to touch on briefly some of the ministry patterns that you see happening, but in general, they would go where they felt like God was leading them to go, and they would follow a specific pattern, and this pattern would be something along the lines of, because they're Jewish in their heritage, they would go into a city and they would look for a synagogue or a traditional Jewish meeting place. Now, Paul was someone who was well-respected as a Jewish scholar. He'd studied at the Harvard of uh, the Jewish nation, uh, underneath the the most well-respected rabbis, a guy named Gamaliel was one of them. And so inevitably, when they found out they had a visiting scholar with them, they would say, we'd love to have you talk. And so they would invite him to come and share, what do you have to share with us? And he would come and he would begin to talk about, let me tell you about my own life. He'd give his testimony. He'd share, this is what has happened to me. And then he would talk about, from, from the scriptures, starting with the, the commonly accepted First Testament or Old Testament stories about God calling Abraham, and from Abraham, God promising he's going to send a Messiah or an anointed one in whom we could believe and have forgiveness of sins. And so Paul would be rehearsing this, and often it would get all sorts of attention. People would just be coming out of their seats because this idea that you no longer had to, had to be a part of a sacrificial system where you're sacrificing animals on a regular basis to have your sins covered, but that you could believe in the Son of God and have your sins forgiven was very, very attractive. And at the same time, as people began to rally around this at the synagogue, there were those that were more committed to their own personal way of, of doing things. And, and in some ways, I would, I would attribute it to they're, they're more tied into their religious system than they are to God himself. I don't know if you have been like me and have ever asked yourself, how did the religious leaders of their day the people who are the experts in biblical law, biblical understanding, how did they miss when the Son of God, the Word made flesh, showed up in front of them? 
How did they miss it? And we can be very judgmental. And I think it's because they were committed to their system. They had a commitment to God, but they were more committed to their way of engaging with God. And when God chose to reveal himself in a, in a way that they were not expecting, they said, we don't want that. We want this. And what we're committed to is very important. We're going to talk more about that later. But it's significant because at some point, the religious people who were... Jaden, will you take us back to that map? The religious people who were here heard Paul was traveling. And they began to follow the early church towards Antioch. And they heard Paul's out here. They're a few days behind, a few days to a week or two. And they'd follow him here. So eventually, Paul's giving messages. And at some point, they show up. They're showing up in the synagogue and they're, they're trying to discredit Paul and his character. This is the guy who's he's already been kicked out of our synagogues. You guys shouldn't be listening to him. And at some point, as these are not solely Jewish cities, there are people who are, are Roman citizens, there are Greeks, there are just, just a gathering of non-Jews. The people that live there get tired of these people arguing over and over again. And pretty soon, wherever Paul is, there's people trying to shout him down. And there are people in the city who could care less what Paul is talking about, what these guys are talking about. All they want is peace in their city. And so they would often drive, participate with the Jewish uh, leaders who were persecuting Paul and Barnabas, and they would drive them out of the city. Sometimes there would be persecution. There's times in some of the places where it says Paul was taken outside the city and stoned with rocks, meaning they probably would not have left him until they thought he was dead. But it was, it was significantly bad. After he was rejected at the synagogue, in every city, what he would do is he would gather the people who had responded to what he'd said, and they'd go find another meeting place. And he would teach them what he could teach them about Jesus and about following after Jesus until such a time as either A, it got too hot for him to stay there and he needed to bail, or B, he felt sufficiently encouraged that he could leave people and they would be able to continue following God. Then he'd go to the next city. You know, wash, rinse, repeat. Same thing over and over and over. This was the pattern that they did it. On this particular journey, they get to Iconium. They get to Lystra. They get to Derby. They get to these, these locations. And, and Paul ends up getting stoned at, in one of these places. And he's left for dead outside the city. And all the brothers and sisters gather around him as he's outside the city. And he gets up. We don't know if God raised him from the dead or if he, they had just left him mostly dead for you Princess Bride fans and you know, he, he came back to life. We don't know. But he, he went back into the city after that. And he continued to teach and continued to share this message of the gospel good news, knowing that the persecution was not just his way of saying, you know, thank you, sir, may I have another. It was part of the process that God had said, you're going to be my witness to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people, but you're also going to suffer greatly for my name. So as this is happening, Paul's following this path. As he finishes in his final city, he's been stoned, he's been chased out of the city, he's been beat up, he's had all sorts of terrible things happen to him. He's had one of the, one of the guys in their party, a guy named John Mark, bailed on him. He said, this is too hot for me, I'm out. He, he goes back through each 
of the cities that he had been, even the ones he'd been chased out of to check on the churches or the groups of people who had gathered together. And that's how the early church got started. It was started in chaos. It was started in all sorts of trouble. It's one of the reasons we have the New Testament is because Paul might be in a place for a week to two weeks to three weeks, you know, someplace, maybe six months, you know, a couple places like Corinth, he was there for a year and a half and Ephesus for three years. But the majority of the time, it was a drive-by. And then from there, as he's been sharing this message, he goes back and checks on them and he wants to leave some sort of deposit or some sort of encouragement with the people there. And so what we're going to be picking up here with is in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 28, 28, at the end of his first journey, kind of how it wrapped up and how it ended and what he and Barnabas did with the churches. And then we're going to talk about how that kind of plays out in today's life And also, when we're talking about what does it mean to be committed, and I want you to please don't check your brain at the door when I say committed, because there is no push towards some ministry of Hillside afterwards, okay? There is nothing at some point you're going to be asked to respond so you could say, okay, finally, here's the hook, pastor's coming for it. That's not where this is going. That has happened too much in my lifetime where in some way, shape, or form, the term commitment has been held over you, and in some way, shape, or form, it's been a a time to try to tie you into some sort of uh, thing that the pastor or the church leadership wants you to do. That's not where we're going. I believe that what we're going to hear today is something that actually can bring liberation to us, recognizing, ultimately, can I get the punchline away? We're called to commit to Christ, to commit to him. Let's go there. Acts 14, 21 through 28. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Verse 24, then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. As I was wrestling through this, this was one of my wrestling weeks. Not like real wrestling, but like, where, what are you speaking to us, Lord? Because I don't want to just have, a, have this turn into a, a history of the early church, which is, could be a good class. It'd be fun. But I also want to hear, how does this affect us? And how does this impact our lives? What, is it, what would have been standing out to the church in the first century? And how does that same Jesus impact us today? One of the things that jumps out to me in this section is that Paul as he's going back through speaking and encouraging in each of the places that he'd been, he establishes elders in the church. Now think about this. If you've been a Christian for three weeks and other people in your gathering have been a Christian for two and a half weeks, you may be the person who's been a Christian the longest. But he would be looking for people in whom the root of the message of the gospel seemed to be growing. What can you tell after three weeks? Really, this is a question not requiring an answer. If you are left to make this choice, what are you going to do? After three weeks, you got to pick it. You got to, it's like the fate of these people is going to ride on the decision you make. No pressure. 
pick a couple of overseers. Pick the, pick the elders. You can't just pick the oldest people, although you want people that are older and mature, like Joni was talking about, who've learned to put things away. If you haven't started putting things away yet, it, it is a good thing. And it's not your spouse or your family didn't tell me to tell you this, but it's, there are aspects of responsibility for ourselves that are manifested and shown as we learn to put things away and not expect that someone else is going to do it. We had a Chinese exchange student who lived with us for three years. He kept coming back. It was the only time in the history of their organization that a student had lived with the family for more than, more than a year. He kept coming back, but the first you know, three months that he was with us were crazy because he came from this incredibly wealthy family. Some of you may remember Frank. We loved Frank. But Frank, he had so much stuff. He had an allowance every month of $6,000 that was his to spend as a 16-year-old kid. Yes, he never made it to the end of the month with that much with money in his account, ever. Yes, loaded. On about day three, Frank comes downstairs and he says to Joni, Mom, when does the lady come? <laughs> it's like, the lady? What lady? He says, everywhere I've lived, there's a lady. It's like, what's he saying? <laughs> what's he saying? When does the lady come? And what does the lady do, Frank? The lady make my bed. The lady vacuum my room. The lady clean my bathroom. But most importantly, the lady cleaned my white shoes and make them white again. And Joni called me and said, Louie, you got to hear this. And I, he told me the story. And it's like, Frank, I've got news for you. You are the lady. You are the lady. And he's like, how about I pay a lease? <laughs> but it's funny. We, we laugh at it. But there can be an idea that someone else is going to do something. And the same mindset that we can laugh at with Frank, we can take the same mindset going forward in our relationship with God. Oh, somebody's going to do that. Somebody will handle it. I was listening to the kids this morning when they found that there was donuts back here and they're leaning over to their parents like, there's donuts on the table over there. They're just sitting there. It's like, where'd they come? I don't know. Who are they for? I don't, probably me. I don't know. But there's like so excited. It's like, I just want the donuts. There's an aspect of us as we begin to take responsibility for ourselves where we are putting things away and we're cleaning up after ourselves and we're considering other people in the processes that we engage in. And it's something that happens in the physical realm but also happens in the spiritual as we begin to consider other people and to take into consideration how can we be caring for them. This is one of the things that Paul would have been looking for with elders, Another word that gets used, it's a little bit of a different word in Greek, but they both refer to basically the same thing is the elders or the overseers that are appointed are there to care for themselves, but also to care for other people and to be looking out for the welfare of others. That is the mission of a person who belongs to Christ. It's to not only care for their own welfare, but to do to others as you would have them do to you. It's to love one another as Christ has loved us. Help one another. My hope is within Hillside is that we would grow more and more in helping one another and looking out for one another, that we would desire to be overseers in Christ. This does not mean I want to be the guy who gets to be a, the boss of everyone. Jesus said it, who wants, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of God must be the servant of all, be the slave of, it, of all. 
This is something where to be an overseer uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a great thing to want because it means you're moving towards maturity, which does not equal more power for me. It means more care for others too. It doesn't mean you're going to go without. It simply means that you become an adult in Christ. Okay? So this idea of who gets nominated to be the elders, who gets nominated to be the overseers, this is, had to be led by the Holy Spirit. God had to point it out. I have found in my lifetime, as I'm interacting within the context of church, or there'll be certain situations where I'll come across an individual, and it's almost like they have something written on their forehead. And it's not something bad or something dumb, but it's, it's almost like God kind of has marked a person. And in that type of situation, it's not like, you know, to the front of the class, but it's, it's more of a, okay, I'm recognizing there's something here. Inevitably, if God has put it on your heart to be an overseer, he's going to be working in your life long before you ever come into the role where you're an overseer. The preparation to be an overseer, the preparation to be someone who would be considered an elder happens when no one else is seeing it. Just like with King David, his preparation to become the king of Israel and to defeat Goliath didn't happen when he was called up to the front and said, who wants to fight a nine foot nine inch giant with a 40 pound spear and a sword longer than your leg? David's like, I guess I'll give it a shot. He'd been working as a shepherd for years off in the wilderness by himself and he'd taken out lions and tigers and bears. Thank you. Um, He'd done, he'd fought them already. So a Philistine, though large and intimidating, he'd already fought these other beasts on his own. He'd been training for it. And God trains us to care for other people and how we care for ourselves and how we care for the things behind the scenes, the people in our families, people that we interact with in friendship and in our workplaces. That's where that gets developed and that gets grown. And if you are faithful in that, God will give you responsibility for more. That's how the kingdom of God, the kingdom ways and means works. So if you want to be great in God's kingdom, which is a good thing to want, it involves a lot of ministry. Okay, it's like, I could get into ministry. It involves a lot of service. Does that sound as fun? It's the same word. It means the same thing. People say, I, you know, I want to talk to you about my ministry. They could just as easily translate, I want to talk to you about my, my areas of service. It's the same thing, same word. So as Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to leave, they've established elders. They've established overseers. They're praying by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're getting ready to leave. They've gone through some times of prayer and fasting. And it says, and they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. As they're getting ready to leave, they're saying, you guys need Jesus. This is the one who you follow. Please, as you believed in him, stay close to him. Other words for committed here are commended or entrusted or presented. It's really fun because as I'm looking in the Greek, what does it mean to commit someone to the Lord or commit someone to something or to commend them or to entrust them or to present them to something? And it's as simple as this. You may be wondering why these donuts are here. I'm not saving a stash. Okay, literally, literally. To commit something to a person towards something would be to place a plate in front of them and say, Aaron, these donuts are for you. I want you to eat them. I have committed the donuts to Aaron. I've committed Aaron to the donuts. Those are now yours. You can share them with your nuclear family. All right. What he does with that 
is up to him. But I have given him the charge. I've committed him. I've commended to him. These donuts are for you. The sprinkle one looks better. What Paul did is he said, I commit you to Jesus. This is your focus. This is where your life's going to come from. As he's leaving, dropping his last words. Anybody you've ever left a company and you got to share last words? I got to do this at the youth group in Carson City as I'm leaving. After youth pastoring for 11 years. I'm bawling my eyes out. And say, it's a good idea. Let's let Louie talk. What do you want to say? And it's like dealing with a group of kids, many of them whom I'd met when they were babies, who are now in high school, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. What do you want to say? And I said, hold on to Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pursue him in every area of your life. Love one another. That was it. Completely ripped it off from Bible. Why? Because if they don't, I don't want them to remember, he was so funny. Remember when he used to talk about the, the funny stories of the Bible where he talked about Eglon, the king in the Old Testament that was so big and so round that when he got stabbed, the sword went in and caused his guts to fall out on the ground and the sword got swallowed up inside his body? It's in the book of Judges, people. You think the Bible's boring? Read it, Judges. You'll be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is in there. They're not going to remember that. I want them to remember when I am in trouble, who do I call upon? Jesus, when I'm struggling, when I can't sleep at night, who do I call upon? Jesus, when I'm battling in my head and in my relationships, who do I call upon? Jesus, when I'm afraid, when I don't have enough, who do I call upon? Jesus, it's, it's that. Paul knew that if they were committed to him, they would be disappointed. Why? Because Paul is no longer present. If they're committed to Barnabas, he's a really encouraging guy. He's no longer present. Who can they depend upon? Who can they trust in? Who will never let them down? Who will never disappoint them or abandon them? Jesus. He commits them to that. I wanted to park on this because it, this messed with me too. I was thinking about God establishing elders. He's establishing overseers. He commits them to Jesus. It's possible I don't know what your, what your church story is. I don't know what your salvation story is. I have been an American my whole life. I've been a Christian since I was about three. Really grabbed a hold of that when I was about 15 or 16. I've heard commitment put out there. You need to commit. You need to be bought in. You need to really give yourself to something. And we use the idea of Jesus but often I think we do damage to people, and by we I'm talking about the church, especially in the U.S. We do damage to people because we call them to something that is less than Jesus. We call them to a specific church. You have to be at this church. You can never leave this church. This church will always be your church, and if you ever turn your back on this church, you leave the church. You leave Jesus. Heard that? We call them to pastors. You have to put your allegiance into this individual. Commit yourself to this person. One of the best things that's ever been said to me, Debbie Johnson. Debbie became a Christian here at Hillside when she was about 18 over a period of time. She never prayed the prayer. She just kind of realized, I, I've become a follower of Christ. Not long ago, she said, I love that you're my pastor. I love that you're the only pastor I've ever had. 
If you ever get weird, I'm out of here. <laughs> Seriously. And I'm like, awesome. That makes me happy. If Louie gets weird, I don't want you thinking, oh, well, it's just, that's just Louie. You know, that guy, he's a, he's a little weird sometimes. No. Ideally, if we get weird, any of us, we would want someone to hold a mirror up and say, this isn't Jesus stuff. We don't swear allegiance to a church. Well, what about membership? That's not that. To a church or to a pastor or to a, a group, to a specific ministry role, this is what you can do. You can only do this. You have to only do this. To a specific Christian political outlook, can you be a Christian and believe that way? Jesus didn't fit into any political body. They wanted to use him. When they'd go to him and say, hey, should we, is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? They're trying to get him to say no or yes. And either way, they'd alienate certain political blocks within the Jewish people. You know what Jesus' answer was? You got anything in your pockets? You got a coin? These guys who were asking the question, pull out a coin. One of the first commandments is you shall have no graven images. They've got it in their pocket. He says, oh, you've got that. Give, it, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. No, but do, who are you for? Who are you stand? No, Jesus, no. Committed to God. Sometimes we call people to be committed to an ideology or a particular theology. I think with the, the Jewish people that are persecuting Paul, they're so tied into their interpretation of their theology that they miss the word made flesh in front of them. We can think, well, we would never do that. We do it all the time. When God approaches us in ways that are different than we think he would approach us, when he calls us to things that, that are completely counterintuitive, when he, we see in, in the book of Isaiah, it says, my ways are far beyond your ways, and my thoughts are so different from your thoughts. God does not do things in the way that makes sense to us. If you wanted to make a big splash when Jesus was born, why do you send him to Bethlehem other than that was what was prophesied? It's a cow town. It's a little no, no town. There's nothing worth happening there. And even from there, when he moved up in the world, he moved to Nazareth to the point where one of his disciples heard where he was from. The guy says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Be like, Hawthorne? <laughs> Seriously? He from Hawthorne? Be a Wowie? I mean, Seriously? All right, our commitment, who we're commended to, must be Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Hear that today. I don't know what's ever been said to you before. I don't know what you've ever heard before. I don't know if you've ever been beat over the head with the commitment stick. My challenge to you is commit yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to lead you. And also know that to be committed to Christ means he will place you within a local body. And you will live within the context with overseers and elders. Why? Because that's how he established for us to be able to grow. You know, often I will hear, well, I don't have to respond to anybody except for Jesus. I'm only accountable to him. I was talking to one of my, the pastors that I oversee, uh, my friend Tim Allen up in Incline. He was sharing interesting story about a person who decided they were going to do whatever they wanted to do and creating some chaos within the church. You know, I don't want to get into the story, but he'd be like, they were doing that? It's like, they were, out loud. Uh, and he's talking to the individual and said, I don't have to listen to you. 
I, I, I respond to no man, only to God. We believe that we are committed to Christ, but he places us within the local family. And my goal, my hope, is that you will be placed within a family that fits for you. And if it's Hillside, awesome. But there are some great churches here in town. There's great places that you can be connected, but my encouragement would be that you would go deep and dig in until such a time as God would move you or send you someplace. If you've been a part of Hillside for any length of time, you know we are a sending church. There are a lot of people who used to attend here that don't attend here anymore because they have been sent other places. Not because Lou's like, this guy's been here so long, we don't get rid of him. But it's more of a, our purpose is, what does God want you to do with your life? We want to help you find, understand, and follow it. And we've seen countless individuals over the years decide, God's called me to move to this place or to go to this place or get a job here or to, to begin to minister in this area. And at some point, it's pockets of people being planted all over the United States and sometimes even other countries. There's a lot of people who've been here for a long period of time. I think, Tim, you guys came here in 2005. That's almost 20 years, man. God bless us. It's awesome. I love that. But regardless, the hope is that you find and understand and follow what God made you to do and to be. And as you're committed to him, he's going to guide you. And as the overseers and elders of our local church are functioning how we're supposed to, we're going to be prompting and encouraging you towards that growth to be able to respond to him. That's why it's not the end of the world when someone leaves because God's called them to go somewhere. And it's also not the end of the world when people start to stretch out and to grow and to do the new things of areas of service that God's stirring up in them. We're never, God willing, going to put a spot and say, because we have this need, because you're committed to Jesus, I need you to serve in the nursery today. My hope is that the Holy Spirit will be stirring you and you will be seeing the different areas that you can serve within the context of the church. Maybe it's going to be you get ideas about areas of need, but often it's going to be because you love Jesus and God's calling you to serve Jesus that you're going to do the stuff that you do in Hillside and beyond. Not because you owe me something. I used to tease... There's, there's a handful of people who met their spouses here. And I've teased, you know, Peter, I, Peter Johnson, Mary Debbie here, Andrew and Tiffany Carr and others. Uh, there's a whole handful. And I will occasionally joke with them, you know, Andrew, I did give you a wife. You know, that type of, a, it's, but it, it's a joke. It's not, it's not for, because the hope is that you're going to discover what God made you to do and to be. And it's not going to be Louis' version of that. It's going to be God's version of that for you. That makes sense. How we do that, how we commit ourselves to Christ is by submitting our thought processes, our, all of ourselves, our body, soul, mind, and our spirit to be transformed, to be renewed, to be redeemed. Often we can kind of adopt Christian behaviors, thinking that's what it means to be a Christian. I just do these things. Over and over again, we're challenged to repent Repent means to change your way of thinking. No matter how good we are, we need help with that. We need that switch to be flipped to where God cleanses the way we think. So as we would commit to Jesus, my prayer is that we would be people who consistently repent, who turn our hearts and minds over to Christ, to be led by him, to become the very best versions of ourselves that we can be. That's why we often will not call for behavioral change. I mean, yes, I'm going to tell you if you're, if you're doing something that you know to be wrong to stop it, but I'm not going to say just go be good or hey, go do better. And say, 
allow God to transform your thinking because out of the thoughts come the actions. What are we doing with this? Questions that I would throw out there for you to kind of ponder. When you came to Christ, when you became a Christian, to what were you called to be committed to or commended to? I just want to say, if you were one of those people who got hit with the commitment stick because you weren't volunteering enough or doing enough stuff, and I think being a process church, you know, about at any given time, between 60 and 80% of people at Hillside are involved in the ministry of Hillside. That's a lot. We believe that God works in us and helps us to grow as we're doing this stuff. But if you've been hit over the head with a stick of commitment, I want to ask for your forgiveness. God willing, it wasn't here, but wherever it was, that's not Christ's heart, is that you would be bullied into that. His heart is that you would be called. And when he says, come and follow, and you say, where are we going? He said, come and see. Jesus does not give good answers sometimes. I was listening to a message my mentor, Jerry Cook, had shared, and he says at the, at the end, you know, you, you want direction? Start being obedient. Be obedient to what God's already talked to you about. Then you'll get direction. Because you might not know where you're going, but you're safe with him. What are the areas that you're feeling challenged in your own discipleship journey? Where is the Holy Spirit inviting you to repent, to, to change your heart, to change your mind, to change your actions? to Christ. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you that you don't beat us over the head, but that you are gentle and your yoke is easy and your burden is light. I pray, Lord, where you're calling us to be people who are, would submit our hearts and minds to you, that we would do so on a daily basis, that we would not dig our heels in, we would not get stiff necks, we would not get stubborn, we would not insist on our own ideology, our own practices our own ways we'd recognize that we're committed to you we're called to function within the local context of a, of a church family I pray Lord where there's been those that have been damaged with the commitment stick people have been beat up chewed up and spit out because they didn't do enough they didn't follow where they're supposed to I ask for your healing to happen Lord in Jesus name with nobody looking around if that's you you're a candidate for healing I just would invite you to lift up your hand and say that, that's me I, that's me big thank you Jesus Lord, you see hands up around this room. I pray that you would heal hearts. The Jesus who sees the bruised reed and does not break it. The Jesus who sees the smoldering wick and does not snuff it out. The Jesus who recognizes in our brokenness and does not break us beyond all repair, but he brings healing and he binds us up. You can put your hands down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your healing, Lord. We give you glory. We give you honor. We commit our hearts to you, our lives to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we wrap up, there's going to be prayer right back here uh, in this section, kind of under the area by the sound booth. And uh, if you have something pop up today that you'd like to have someone pray with you about, we'd love to have you uh, get back there and check with somebody. If you've never started a relationship with, before with Jesus, right back there, Grace, would you wave at me? Grace is right back there at the Connect and Grow counter. You can grab a, a yes packet, which basically tells you this is how you start a relationship with Jesus. We'd love to partner with you as you do that. As we go, I want to bless you with these two blessings, one from Romans, one from the book of Numbers. The first says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy peace, joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And may Jesus bless you and keep you. May Jesus make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. Commit yourself to the Lord. Embrace what he's got for you. Have a great week. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.